0: everyone and thanks for listening today we really appreciate it. So you know we find a lot of our friends are kind of shy about asking and learning more about wine. How to buy wine, ordering wine at restaurants, or just having a better understanding of exactly what it is they're drinking. So if that's you or your friends then today's episode is for you. So please share this with someone else who might benefit from learning more about wine as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. And today we have a special guest here that's very knowledgeable on the subject of wine, Mike Kennedy, who is Managing Partner of Waterford Wine and Spirits in Green Bay and also in Milwaukee. Michael, can you give us a bit of history about your experience and expertise in wine? Be glad to.
2: Uh, Start out was certainly serendipitous. As I worked my way through uh, college, uh, an opportunity for work over the holidays emerged with a, a local pharmacy that threw his hat in the ring around uh, discount liquors, discount liquors and wines. I eventually connected with uh, Ben Christensen, who, who was the owner and founder of Waterford Wines. Uh, this was a couple of years ago. And being a little bit selfish and not wanting to walk, drive down to Milwaukee uh, regularly, started talking to him about expanding to Green Bay we uh, struck up uh, an agreement to test the market a little bit, engaged Hinterland Brewery for a series of uh, wine tastings, sold them all out. It was a big success up until uh, COVID hit. Um, COVID hit, of course, every retail business went scrambling. It wasn't too long in, for in Wisconsin for... Uh, wine stores liquor stores and that to be labeled a uh, critical uh, business uh, so he managed to uh, stay open <laughs> it was critical to me it i during yeah. <laughs> covid <over. laughs> so, yeah essential i think the the, the term was oh, for sure it's even uh, more essential and right? uh, happened in a number of states so the business managed to go on and we part started to we struck a partnership to pursue an interest uh, in earnest uh, opening a, a branch of Waterford Wines in Green Bay, and that's the project I took on a year and a half ago.
0: Well, I certainly uh, enjoy going in the store. I've been there. I remember the first time I went in, I got a really nice bottle of Jovis and thought, hey, i got to go back there. I've been in there many times <laughs> since. And what I really like about it, as opposed to just trying to figure out what you're buying at a grocery store or whatever, is it's a small facility. Really all you have is wine and a few spirits, but there's not a beer cooler or anything like that there. So you are going there to get wine, and when you walk in, someone immediately approaches you and says, how can I help? And I think that's really helpful, when, especially when you're trying to get a special bottle. for Some folks are coming over, or it's an anniversary or something like that. So I've been really pleased and been back there a number of times at um, the pricing structure. I mean, I've gotten great bottles of wine there for $5 even. And of course, it goes all the way up to some far more expensive bottles. But you yeah, have virtually every kind, and it's not the typical brands you're seeing in the grocery store. And then uh, for anyone go- that goes there, I would suggest signing up for the email newsletter. It comes a couple times a week and notifies what new bottles you guys have there and what's on sale. And then I've also participated twice now in a thing called the uh, Cyber Sale where um, you have some special ones that are on sale. You order them online and then they ship to the store and the store just lets you know when they're there and ready and you can come and pick them up. So I've really enjoyed the store, especially the fact that I'm learning so much more about wine now. One of the things I want to express to our listeners is how to not be afraid of wine, how to embrace it learn more about the various regions where it's grown, the types of grapes, how to order it with food, how to read a label, and how to just have it become more of a hobby rather than just buying the same old bottle of wine. I see people that like a particular brand or they say, well, I like Pinot Noir because it's really the only one they've tried or know how to pronounce or something. So that's what I was like when I was younger. I had no interest in wine, and I actually hated it for a long time. I had no idea what I was drinking and felt a little intimidated by it, and I think that's how a lot of people think. So lots of folks in this neck of the woods drink beer. I mean, it's just a Wisconsin thing. And about six or seven years ago, I came around, and now I really love wine and enjoy it far more often than beer. I met a couple owners of wine bars here in the Fox Valley who really knew their stuff, did some really great tastings, And that helped me learn more about it as far as types of grapes, regions, food pairings. And now I started learning on my own, and I know you have tastings at the store. I think that's a great way to be with a small group, try some new things, and really turn wine drinking into somewhat of a hobby. Would you say a lot of your customers approach it that way as well?
2: Absolutely. You can characterize them in in the... Uh, the path that you took as, as being uh, an explorer and having a keen interest to learn more and experience more, if anything, to just your own personal uh, delight. And that's uh, the, the type of ambience that we're trying to strike in the store and engaging with us. Uh, you first might notice the store has a bit of a, a library amb- ambience. Uh, we want to convey. That we are truly knowledgeable and hopefully trusted advisors uh, to help you explore along. Secondly, we take on a a philosophy around it's you know it's really all what all about what you like and what you prefer, not necessarily um, our opinions or or some faraway journalist that's throwing points at things. And uh, to, to, to figure that out, it's all about tasting. And that's why we have the, uh, the focus on uh, tastings and uh, exploring, exploring, if you will, with all of your uh, senses. Uh, so we'll have at least uh, one well-organized uh, tasting seminar a week. They'll be themed, whether we pursue a region or a variety uh, or a producer but it'll give you the opportunity in a very economical way to try a lot of wine along with a complete seminar and a lot of information uh, to help you continue uh, navigating this this wonderful world.
1: So um, talking about pricing, for some of the people out there that might not be that familiar with different levels of wine and costs of wine, say a $5 bottle versus a $30 bottle, I mean, I've been in your store and you have $200 bottles, you know, so there's a wide range. Can you kind of explain to our listeners a little bit what's the difference between a $5 bottle or 10 and a $30 bottle?
2: Well, there can be quite a difference or there can be, uh, at least to your taste, a little difference. We encourage uh, our customers, uh, people that are exploring and pursuing, there's usually three things to know about a, a wine to start understanding its potential quality. First of all, what kind of wine it is, uh, what type. Uh, That'll certainly help you zero in on your personal preferences. Where does it come from? Uh, That's important. Like any agricultural product, some parts of the world uh, do some products much, much better than other parts of the world. And then lastly, uh, who is the the producer behind it, Uh, the talent, if you will? And again, I think anyone can understand in any category of goods there's people that can do things really well and there's people that are just banging out a a wretched uh, project so with that little bit of a framework you can find well-crafted artisanal products at ten dollars a bottle can be done is a twenty dollar bottle twice as good certainly not necessarily so you may feel it's worth that much more or may not but by and large there can be greater craftsmanship greater original product original fruit going into it from a preferred region of the world all these things that can come together and improve the the quality of the product uh, and also make it more rare more difficult to obtain, and uh, scarcity unfortunately has a um, has a typically a big impact on retail pricing. And again, it's really up to you and your tastes whether something's worth twice as much. Once you get into the twenty to thirty-five dollar range, though, we can get you into some of the greatest wines produced in the world. Again, you don't have to have an exorbitant budget to have uh, world-class product from world-class regions, from world-class producers. But uh, it does take a little bit of uh, navigating, a little bit of uh, knowledge uh, that any of your listeners can uh, pick up, and fun to pick up because it's all about tasting to sort out what you like and and to develop a little bit of experience in navigating this world. Most of you have done it with uh, the restaurant scene. Uh, Most of you have done it in many other goods and hobby pursuits. This is just as easy and, again, a lot of fun.
0: I would agree with that analogy about the restaurants. We've seen a lot of explosion, not only nationally but worldwide, in finer dining and, and local products and stuff like that when you go out to eat. So I want to touch just briefly on industrial wine production versus working with a small vintner. So in the beer world, industrial production is the Anheuser-Busch's and Miller's and stuff of the world. And then now people are really gravitating towards the microbrews for a number of reasons. And I would imagine it's similar in the wine world, but what are some of those things that are different that industrial uh, wine producers do that the smaller guy doesn't that might make us want to look more towards that?
2: The craft brewery is a a great analogy, and Green Bay has some great examples of it. Now let me turn that around a little bit, and it's really all about what the craft producer, what the artisan does that is different from uh, industrial production. Uh, It starts in the vineyard, and where the vineyard's uh, located. Some parts of the world have soil and climate conditions, Uh, that are just extremely amenable for producing very distinguished uh, fruit around these varieties. And then the way the uh, vineyards are are managed. Many of the producers we work with are at the family scale of uh, production. Uh, They're uh, small family operations. They're tending the vineyards by hand. They spent a big chunk of the winter pruning Properly getting ready for the spring, using sustainable methods, avoiding pesticides, avoiding uh, chemical fertilizers, trimming back, and uh, and avoiding just maximizing to production to get to the finest fruit. Vinification methods uh, again similar artisanal experience uh, provided uh, provided at that, and uh, those are the
0: key differences. So almost similar to if you're a person who likes to go to the farmer's market because you want really great cucumbers or radishes or something, and you think that those are superior to what you're getting in the mass-produced grocery stores, you're delving into the fruit at that level and, and noticing the difference. So I do want to talk about reading labels a little bit. So I never used to read the labels other than the name brand and if the type, like if it said Pinot. I
1: used to pick out the wine based on how I like the label. Well, believe (laughs) me, I still occasionally (laughs) do that.
0: But I was told that it's helpful to really learn about a type of grape or region to understand if you like that type or region. And then from there, you can delve into it, and here's where it kind of becomes a hobby. Much like using uh, different types of wood for smoking meat or anything else, you Your enjoyment level increases once you learn more and start experimenting with a little bit more. So here's my understanding, and tell me if it's wrong. If it says uh, made in the USA, that means grapes could come from just about anywhere in the country. So that means you're kind of getting a hodgepodge of could be warm climate, cold climate, just about anything as long as it's that type of grape. If it says California, that means it's made in California. California, but the grapes could be from anywhere in California, which is a huge state with both warmer and colder climates. If it says Sonoma County, California, that means it's in one little 50-mile patch there, or however big that county is, anywhere in that county. And finally, if it's from one particular estate, then you're getting grapes of one kind from that one piece of soil and getting what's called a true expression of the grape in that patch of land. Is that correct? And if so, why do we care? Um, I got a bottle from your place from Italy with grapes from two estates, one in Imola and the other in Forley. and That was a great bottle. But why does any of this matter? And is that correct the way I was told?
2: It's a, a fair interpretation. Again, go back to our three T's, type, terroir, and talent. And usually what most of us uh, look for initially on the label is what type of wine is it? Is it Cabernet Sauvignon? Is it a Chardonnay? Uh, And in uh, the new world, uh, in North and South America, Australia, uh, that's typically what is uh, most prominently identified on the label. Where it is from, though, is critically important uh, as well. And though that, those geographic designations uh, you made uh, in most countries, virtually all wine producing countries, those geographic designations are well regulated. So when that bottle says it's from Sonoma County or Napa County, you know all the fruit in there uh, came from those two counties. And knowing that you understand, well, this is likely going to be better than something that was blended from wherever they could find the grapes or maybe a a container load from some other obscure, low-cost producing uh, region. So a general rule of thumb is the smaller that geographic designation, like you suggested right down to the vineyard, can be an indicator of higher quality wine. Once you start seeing a the name of a vineyard on a bottle, you can easily be getting into the top 10 percent, top 5 percent of production from a region like that. In many countries in Europe and many of the old world com- uh, countries, they don't. The, t- the type of grape that's in the bottle is not prominent, sometimes and usually not at all on the label. It's all about where it's from. And once you know where it's from, you likely know, to a large, to a large degree, what's in the bottle. And again, after that, uh, it is the, uh, the producer that can make a, a significant uh, a difference. Uh, so uh, that's fair, and it's why those labels may look intimidating at first. And as you explore and, and start to find the, the regions and the producers you like, just got a phenomenal tool to uh, continue exploring and experiencing more.
1: So, yeah, so my wife and I, we like wine. And about five, six years ago, we took a wine vacation to Sonoma, California, the Sonoma Valley. And it's great vacation, a lot of time— or a lot of good times, and learned a little bit about wine, not a lot, but a little bit. What I did learn is that I like the Zinfandel from the Dry Creek region of Sonoma. So is that kind of what you're talking about, that there is a region uh, in that county, the type of grape, and I don't remember who made it, but someone, someone, you know, local vineyard I'm sure made it. Well, you nailed it, Uh, the three T's. It's
2: Zinfandel. It's from Sonoma County and actually a sub-region. The Dry Creek designation is a regulated designation. At least 80% of the fruit in that bottle needs to be from from Dry Creek. Dry Creek is a small area in Sonoma Mm -hmm. County. That's known worldwide for uh, Zinfandel. Oh,
1: okay. So if I was planning for an event, say holidays or special occasion, and I had like a $100 budget, I want to buy three or four bottles of wine. You know, what would be the way of going about that? Where would I go? What would I look for? You know, I like red and white. Uh, Should I get both? Should I just get one? What would you give advice on someone that was trying to plan for something and had a modest wine budget but, you know, something that they could get some nice wine with?
2: Well, that budget, that's a great budget for that kind of event. Uh, We'd probably probe with a a few more questions. Uh, Well, first, find a trusted advisor to help you navigate through that. Uh, And there's a lot of great retail establishments to do that. Uh, And then uh, we'd explore a little bit more about the particulars of the event. Uh, Are you going to be serving food or not? Is it celebratory or not? Uh, Celebratory events uh, naturally lean to a sparkling wine like a champagne. Uh, And again, we can fit You can fit great sparkling wines uh, in a budget like that. And that kind of uh, probing, understanding, uh, if you do, if you can, understanding the profile of your guests a little bit, uh, can help you move from some kind of random guesses as to what to invest in and present to a well-targeted investment that your guests will likely really appreciate and understand that it personally resonates a little bit.
1: So don't be afraid to come into a shop like yours and talk to you or one of your associates about, hey, this is what's coming up, I've got this budget, what can, where can you guide me on what wine I should get?
2: Well, as you can tell already, we'll talk about this until we're blue in the face. <laughs> and so don't hesitate to do that at all. But we'll likely have a few bottles open and help you really explore and understand what we're talking about, experience it, and explore and learn a little bit more about what you and, in this case, your guests might like.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: You know, I've been in the store a number of times. I bet you I've asked about a 100 different bottles of wine during my visits there, and there's never been one that uh, the folks were stumped on. They knew something about everything. I was in recently... I like uh, I do all the cooking in our house, and we like a lot of spicy Mexican food and stuff. And I never served wine with that, I I never could find one that I liked, so I just gave up on having wine with Mexican food. But we were going to be doing some a couple weeks ago, and I walked in and uh, he pointed out a Chardonnay. Now, typically, we think we don't like Chardonnays, but this is what's great about learning things. You could think you don't like beef if all you've ever had is hamburger, and you pointed one out that um, works well to offset the spicy food. And it isn't like a pinot grigio or something that's going to make you pucker a little bit. It was a bottle called Poppy, a, a type of Chardonnay. It, it worked great with the food we had. So now we're open to, well, let's try some more Chardonnay. So the whole thing can be really fun. And now we're starting to have wine tastings at our house. So I live in a condo association with all other old geezers. <laughs> and So we like to get together and drink locally so we don't have to drive. <laughs> Just walk home. And we've been starting to have tastings at our house and we'll have that the ladies have to bring a white and the guys have to bring a red. But also discuss the wine. And people at first were freaked out. How do we discuss the wine? Well, you know, there's this thing called Google. You can type in any wine, and I've actually done this in your store. So I'm looking at a bottle that, for whatever reason, catches my eye. I type it into Google, and there's just countless reviews of it. So now you can approach it and then plus ask your staff. And so between those two things combined, you can have a pretty good feel for, yeah, I want to try this. And then when you're opening it, like, here's what I think I'm going to be experiencing. is, Is that the way it really is? So could you suggest... For a couple that's looking at some wine, not too expensive, retired, living on a fixed in- income, some general suggestions. When people come into the store, before they start delving into too many, what kind of section of the store should they be looking at? You, Yours is set up top shelf. The expensive stuff's up on top. The cheaper stuff's down on the bottom. I'm usually looking down there yeah. <laughs> because there's <laughs> the quantities we go through at my house sorry honey (laughs) but what are some general suggestions somebody's going to go to the store to get some wine for this weekend what should they be prepared to think about before they even walk in the door in terms of what am i looking for
2: well as we went through before with uh uh, with jake's example uh, what's the occasion Uh, is it for a dinner what's your budget What do you know you already like? Uh, And uh, just, uh, you know, uh, things you can respond to uh, immediately. And with that little bit of uh, knowledge, uh, we're really comfortable that we're going to navigate you to something that has uh, tremendous quality.
0: So if if our neighbor comes in and says, hey, we're grilling out and we're just going to do basic stuff like brats and burgers, we're going to be sitting around a pool, but we want to try two different wines then you take it from there and just ask about price point, suggest some things and kind of get everybody started based on it
2: yep yeah we might explore a little bit uh what have you enjoyed before uh, but that's all we need to know uh, and the the budget you would like to
1: keep to and we'll usually look to beat that and go from there recently dave and i got together with our wives and dave was talking about a salmon i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right Sauvignon, right, we've got it. Uh, that they've seen in, they, they visited in Austin and Nashville, and they actually went to a wine place that had someone that was, I guess, is that like an expert? Could you explain a little bit about what a Sauvignon is?
2: A Sauvignon is a is an expert. Uh, they, more precisely, uh, they are a, a wine waiter. They are responsible for selecting and serving. Uh, wines uh, in a uh, in a hospitality se- setting, restaurants and so on, along with uh, helping customers uh, match food to wine.
0: So, switching gears, I uh, for a while I was buying a lot of wine at Costco. I kind of quit that now because your store's right by Costco. So every time I go to Costco, then I just run over to your place. But I've gotten some good bottles at Costco, and then some. That maybe weren't so good. And this all started, I was watching a YouTube channel called Wine Kings, which is hilarious, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Three guys sit around and I see a uh, couple of clips drink, from it. It's pretty funny. But they actually do one or two episodes a year where they go to Costco and fill up a cart with wine. And they get pretty excited at times when they see certain ones that they know and like and they'll buy a case or more. So, um, what can you tell us about shopping for wine at a place like Costco? and what to watch out for as well.
2: Well, Costco does have a great buying operation behind what they do. Uh, You can find some great wines uh, and great values
0: uh, at Costco. There's nobody there to help you, but... That's the key (laughs) item. Uh,
2: You need to know two things. You need to know what you're looking for, uh, and you need to be comfortable with a relatively uh, narrow selection. Uh, and one other thing you can count on, Costco, as well, is that their house brand, Kirkland, like in many of the product segments, is a pretty darn reliable brand. I agree. But when it comes to uh, help navigating or diversity, that's where large uh, retailers like that will simply not have the resources uh, at, that, uh, at that level.
1: So narrowing that down even further, like box wine. You know, you go into a grocery store, the liquor department, and you see box wine. What's the? Is is there? Is that a? Totally, don't even go there. Are there some box wines that are decent? I know they have a pretty good value based on the capacity that the box has versus what you're paying for. You know, what would you? What would you say about box wines? And and that's if you have friends that are either luscious that come over and drink all your wine, or you maybe don't like them so much. You're <laughs> going to serve them the cheap wine.
2: We call those cellar defenders, Okay, but there's no reason that a cellar <laughs> defender That's has good. to be a cheap wine. It can be uh, a, a quality wine, uh, but it can be something that uh, out of our bargain bin that we were able to do in quantity and bring to market at a, an aggressive price for a short period of time. But it is a way when uh, you're Guests won't leave, and they <laughs> want to drink a little bit more. This is uh, and, uh, we have some of those uh, events coming up. <laughs> uh, and you're done serving them the best thing in your cellar because they can't tell the difference anyway.
0: Oh, there you that go. That is fantastic. I can't, I can't wait to. So you, you start with a good them.
1: wine, and then you pull out the box at the
0: end of yeah. the night.
2: One's senses do diminish over time. <laughs>
0: Now, in the last few years, we've seen a rapid growth in wineries here locally, and we're in northeastern Wisconsin. So these are totally different kind of grapes grown here, suited for this climate, and relatively new, it hasn't been around a long, long time. I know Marquette, I think, is one of the grapes that I've experienced at some of the local wineries. So these seem to be, I've had fun drinking them, but they seem to be very, very different from, say, Old World wines from Europe. And I usually don't buy bottles while I'm there to take home. I don't quite like it enough to do that. But I do enjoy drinking it while I'm there. And I went to uh, some similar wineries in Galena, Illinois recently as well that had those Midwestern grapes. So, what are you feeling on the grapes from this region?
2: The, uh, the primary opportunity in, in this region is the uh, challenge that the weather provides. And the, the great varieties of the world have their limitations in the regions that they can grow in the grape varieties tend to require a long growing season so take a day like today we're in april everything has budded uh, and if we get a frost uh, the crop uh, uh, on a less hardy grape uh, is going to get wiped out and in some of the great wine growing regions like champagne like Burgundy, that are relatively far north, that is a uh, that is an annual risk. Zone wise, we're further north than that. We're another at least half a zone north of the great the greatest wine pr- cool wine producing uh, regions. So that's the primary challenge. Uh, so Marquette is a great example of a hybrid that was developed to address that. Oh. it is a, a hybrid of of an old-world grape. So the hybrids uh, are are an attempt to get the best of both worlds, something that's hardy enough, that can be uh, successfully grown in our climates and have uh, quality characteristics. So Marquette's a good example. The other thing, though, that uh, local producers do uh, and bring great talent to the market is that they'll bring juice in from other wine-producing regions like uh, California, like Washington State, and uh, make vinifera uh, wines and make some great wines uh, and and diversify that way. So uh, places like Ledstone Vineyards, Von Steele, two examples of not only doing things uh, successfully with uh, hybrids, where there's a small market for, it, but doing things successfully with, uh, with the most popular grape varieties of the world. Walla Shines another name in uh, southwestern.
0: I've enjoyed some of their stuff. Yeah. What,
2: Wisconsin, southwestern Wisconsin, uh, you know, again a little more amenable uh, growing area there. Uh, so that's primary. That's that's the story behind something like Marquette.
1: So kind of sticking on the topic of regions, if I go to the grocery store in their wine department, if it's a bigger grocery store, they'll have it laid out and some of them have it laid out by region. So they'll have like South America, Europe, even New Zealand type of things. So would it be advised to take a look at say like a cabernet? So the same type of wine, but go to different get a bottle from each region and then test it and see which region you like the best. Is that something that would be practical to do?
2: That's the backbone of a really fun wine tasting. It could be a great theme for one of your uh, uh, one of your community uh, gatherings, uh, the old world versus the new world. Mm. With well-chosen wines, you can get a real sense of uh, how the style and characteristics of a, a variety are produced around the world. And what they do with Cabernet in Bordeaux versus Napa versus Australia, versus Chile, versus South Africa, they are all great Cabernet Sauvignon producing regions, bringing to the market world-class wines with their distinct characteristics.
0: I've noticed when dining out in this area that most waiters and waitresses aren't real informed as to what pairs well with food. And... A lot of places don't even have a particular wine list that they you can depend on them to have. So one thing my wife and I tend to do is we look at the menu before we get somewhere and kind of decide what we're going to eat. We might change our mind at the last minute if there's a special or something. But I like to know going in so that I don't sit there and in that 30-second time frame have to decide what I'm going to eat. So how can we do this to pair the wine with it as well? So if we decide we're going to have some type of pork chop or whatever, before we even get to the restaurant? Should we be Googling what, what pairs well with a pork chop and then trying to find that on their wine list? Is that a safer way from making a 60 or $70 wine mistake in a restaurant if we're getting a bottle?
2: It's a good start. And uh, you know another uh, assured way of finding... Something that you like in a pairing is starting with something that you have liked uh, and liked in a pairing. But there are some there are some good rules of thumb in pairing wine with food, and it would work for pairing craft beers with food uh, as well. Uh, so there are some uh, guidelines that you can engage, uh, but also don't be afraid to uh, press the staff because most of the, the restaurants, including around here, are trying to make informed and value decisions on their, on their wine lists. Uh, and looking at the wine lists ahead of time is a great idea. I've done that to control the spending uh, when I had to <laughs> take people out on a business expense account. You might even coach the server ahead of time on that
1: what about like my wife and i will open a bottle of wine and most of the time we empty the bottle of wine at the same <laughs> drinking but if we don't and or we open a second bottle and we get it like half done what's the best way to seal it if it's not a screw top if it has a cork what's the best way to seal it and how long is that bottle good for after it's been opened?
2: my wife my wife's usually good for finishing that bottle wine <laughs> as well uh and you're right. Screw cap. If you've got a screw cap, just put the cap back on it. Put the cork back in it. Uh, put it in there uh, nice and tight. That's what it's for. Uh, it'll last a couple of days.
0: And you don't refrigerate red wine once it's been opened, right?
2: We tend to uh, throw it in the uh, cooler uh, just because we have some hot spots in the uh, in the house. A great rule of thumb for white wine uh, take it out of the refrigerator for at least 15-20 minutes or before you serve it because too much of a chill for almost all white wines will start masking up uh, the flavors and the it aromless. becomes blander yeah, yeah you lose the complete right. uh, taste to it the complete experience uh, nose and taste and with red wines put them in the refrigerator for a good 15 or 20 minutes and get it down to what we would refer to as a cellar temperature.
0: What happens when you have a bad cork? You're starting to open the bottle and it starts to disintegrate.
2: The Well, there's a couple of ways a uh, cork can, can fail. Uh, most often, uh, since uh, we're rarely drinking wines that have been in a Cellar for uh, or in storage for many years. Typical failure of a, uh, of a cork is to uh, present a little bit of uh, cork taint uh, to the wine, um, fungus, but it's a that uh, will very slightly or thoroughly spoil the wine. The uh, easiest indicator. The most usual indicator is uh, that the wine smells a little bit like uh, you pick up a faint smell or a pronounced smell of wet cork cardboard. When a cork disintegrates or breaks, that can happen, especially in older bottles. And sometimes you may have just a poor cork material. But there are a few uh, tools that can help you uh, fish that out. Um, but a, a well-made cork doesn't have any taste to it. A little cork floating around is not a big deal. And then lastly, you can just pour it through a, a fine screen, which most people done, have yeah, in their yeah, kitchen, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and uh, take care of it.
0: Well, and one final thing before we wrap up here, and this is the final thing usually of wine drinking, <laughs> and the reason a lot of people say they don't like it is it can cause headaches. Is that simply you've overserved yourself, or specific kinds of wine make that worse? And then you, as a seasoned drinker, do you have any secret hangover cures that will help eliminate that headache?
2: Well, there's no substitute
0: uh, for moderation <laughs>
2: <laughs> and staying hydrated. That doesn't work really out that well. For we wanted somehow this moderation <laughs> thing isn't always working out the best for us. Overwhelmingly, a hangover is uh, is caused by not only not hydrating uh, properly, but so
0: does wine dehydrate you worse than vodka or something. I don't think one alcohol
2: is necessarily better or worse than others. It's the amount of alcohol, <laughs> and, and spirits will be higher in alcoholic uh, content. And alcohol is is what causes the dehydration. And then there may be elements to the product like in a gin, the botanical elements, in a red wine, um, a more pronounced um, tannins and content of tannins, these may be things that trigger um, adverse uh, reactions uh, uh, for some people, and they may, get, may or may not get associated with, uh, uh, with headaches. Um, histamines are uh, another naturally occurring substance and wines that uh, and, and, uh, people may not, some people may not react uh, favorably to.
1: All right. Well, Michael, thanks a lot for joining us today. I've learned a lot. I think I might stop by your store on the way home, in fact, <laughs> to check things out. My pleasure. Love to see you there.
0: How can the listeners find you and uh, on, both online and in person? Well, easy to find. Uh,
2: 265 2665 Monroe Road, Suite 110 uh, over in Bellevue. As you said, uh, just on the other side of, uh, of the uh, Highway 172. Or go to waterfordwines.com, uh, and you'll find our uh, complete selection there, uh, as well as uh, tools to uh, place orders and reserve uh, products. And lastly, I'd encourage you to uh, get on our mailing list. You can do that via online or stopping in the store or giving us a call. The uh, mailing list, uh, when we find a uh, a feature that we're bringing to market and once land it and get it to market, we will uh, write it up.
0: The write-ups are great, really long and Thorough. So I've enjoyed those.
2: And yeah, we have a lot of fun and put a lot of energy and time into producing those. This is a big thrust of our business, working as directly as possible with great producers around the world and uh, getting it to uh, market. We're absolutely confident uh, we can provide you a selection that will compete with anywhere on the uh, internet or any other, any other uh, rival. We ha- again, we have the benefit of being associated with uh, three other stores that grew out of the Milwaukee area. <clears throat> so we have the benefit of collectively a very large market with a trade that's been developed over 15 years.
0: All right, Michael, thank you for coming in today. I appreciate
2: it. My pleasure.
0: Geezer Life is written, directed, produced, and edited by Dave and Jake. We do it all ourselves, except when we have to reach out to younger people to help us remember what buttons to push. If you enjoy our podcast, please like and subscribe, and even leave us a review. Let us know what topics you would like to see us address here on Geezer Life. We could really use the support so we don't have to live out our final years camping under a bridge, which is a really hard place to do a podcast from.
1: Yeah, help us get better, because we're working hard at it when we could be napping instead. We now have several ways to contact us. Email at... TheGeezerLife at gmail.com, Facebook at TheGeezerLife, and Instagram, podcast.
0: Until then, see you next time, unless we keel over in the meantime. So eliminate the worry, eliminate the strife, it's time to have your fall, it's The Geezer Life.